Welcome back. We've got another episode of the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. And we're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we also realize that anytime Reformation happens, it is messy, messy, messy. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the CRC to talk about what's happening in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every Monday. And if you can think of anyone who would benefit from this podcast, share it with them. Help us get these conversations to spread further throughout the CRC. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Matt Wonderland. As you went to Calvin, um, what were mm-hmm. some of the things that surprised you as, as you were there? And, uh, and then to get even more pointed, what were some of the things that you saw that were concerning to you as you, as you spent time at Calvin Seminary? Sure. I think one of the things that surprised, you know, sometimes a strength can also be a weakness, right? Um, When you take the strength too far. And I think the thing that kind of surprised me was when we would start to, and and I'm going to, I'm going to use an umbrella term. And even as I say this, I don't want you to think that I think every single person in the CRC is this way. Uh, But there is many times there is this just diminished uh, respect for the authority of scripture. And mm. it, it surprised me because what I would see is people who have this really strong theology, but, and they were very intelligent people, but sometimes they would use that in ways that go against the very things they were teaching. So, you know, we had with this hermeneutical method that the, uh, the five areas of hermeneutics that we all sat through and um, absorbed from, you know, very first day in seminary uh, on campus, that is, and and, but sometimes I'd see it not being used. And it, it, it just blew my mind that, that sometimes other things would begin to trump the authority of scripture. And mm. so that was, that was probably the biggest thing. And, and some of it was, you know, perhaps an unspoken because it's a sensitive issue in the CRC, or maybe it has something to do with um, how do you maintain your, re- your regional accreditation in this day and age, as mm. some of these topics are brought up. And I know I've said things to professors over the over the years, and they just went. They just go silent. They go calm, silent, like they're not going to talk about it. Like, <laughs> you know, you don't talk about male headship. Do not even bring that topic up. We're not yep. going to talk about it. When when I think in it, it, I'm okay with people bringing up alternative opinions, but let's get back to scripture and talk about why we believe what we believe instead yeah. of just saying nope. We're, we're not going to we're not going to talk about this. Um, the uh, the other two are, I think, are kind of related to that. And one of them is, uh, you know, I'm, I mentioned the ecumenical stuff, but some of the interfaith stuff, it really felt like that went too far, in, in my opinion. Mm. Um, you know, Jason, you and I were in a, in a class together where, yeah. where 90% of the class said, and these are future pastors, these are future academians, said Christians and Muslims worship the same God. That mm. was the conclusion they came to. And I just remember being floored. And again, it was like, well, that's because people aren't going back to scripture as they examine these issues. They're not even going back to some of the confessions and 
and catechisms that, that you all hold so dear, they're, they're looking at the culture and they're looking at this lovey-feely sort of thing. Um, and, you know, I think there's a place for, you know, God is love, right? And uh, the greatest commandment is to love God, love one another. But that love command always cannot, cannot be forgotten about God's holiness. Like God's holiness cannot be missed as we're talking about love because his love means nothing uh, apart from that initial holiness that he has because it was that great holiness that required that great love that, that he showed us. And so when, when that gets lost and nothing's sin anymore and we just got to love one another and live and let live and, oh, this person's feelings might get hurt. It's like we're talking about the truths of scripture. We are talking about the word of God. And so let's, let's start with, with, with who God is. And then let's go from there into what does scripture say about this topic instead of um, theologian A said this about theologian B who said this about theologian C. And that leaves room for this discussion. It's like, I don't care about that. I, I, what does the Bible say? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, um, and then kind of the third thing, and this is, this is my own, my own interpretation. And again, it's related to this, this diminished authority of scripture. I call it this, this Gnosticism that's starting to creep in. And, and I alluded to it a little bit as I, as you think about things like male headship, but it seems like whenever it comes to uh, biblical sexuality or when it comes to male headship uh, it, in some of these other topics, uh, Galatians 3.28 gets brought up right away. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free you know, completely taken out of context is one of those where they could go back and use that hermeneutical method and use it a lot more effectively. And, and they basically say, no, you know, the body doesn't matter. That's Gnosticism. That's not Christianity. Christianity, the Bible or the body absolutely matters. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. It was done on purpose by God. You know, he, he made us male and female. You know, he did these, he did these things. He, he determined what, what sexuality would would and should look like. And to say that the body doesn't matter or to say that, well, you know, some people might just actually be females in a male body. It, it shocks me that, uh, that, that people are, are, are not pushing back against some of these things. Um, I actually did a, a sermon in one of our preaching classes and it included the verse uh, Deuteronomy 22.5, which is about a woman not wear a man's clothing and a man not wear a woman's clothing. And it was crickets when I got done. I've, I've never <laughs> been so uncomfortable in my life. And after I got that, I got done with that sermon. And I, and admittedly, I was trying to challenge myself and get out outside the box, but I wasn't thinking that I was going to be offending people. I wasn't mm. thinking that it was going to be an issue that we, we can't talk about it. It's like, Bible's pretty straightforward on this particular yeah. subject. So I don't, I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure what the actual problem is. So mm. I guess that was, that was my biggest surprise. And, and that is sort of the, the situation in the CRC that really, um, I, I guess I'll use the term bugged me as I was, as I was in seminary is, is this diminished authority of scripture. And sometimes script, I, scripture was held very highly in certain instances, but then in other instances, it seemed like, oh, you know what? We can just, the culture's kind of saying this right now. There's a debate in the church. So we're really just going to talk about this one side of this one topic. Like, how is it, is it possible to be a homosexual and to be a Christian? Um, is it possible to be a transgender Christian? And what does that look like? 
Um, and uh, another, another topic, this is a little bit different, but uh, it goes back to uh, biblical creation. That's, a, that's another topic where it seems like nobody started with scripture. They started with what they thought was going on in society, and then they tried to make scripture fit afterwards. You know, and, and it, it was very difficult for me because in particular in that issue, uh, I, my degree actually, my undergrad degree is in biochemistry, and I did two years of research at the University of Chicago, and we were looking at evolution in particular. And it was while I was in the thick of that, that I just, I realized that this is a worldview. This is not a, this is not science. This is not observable, testable, repeatable, falsifiable. This is, this is a worldview. It's, it's closer to forensic science than it is to, you know, putting a man on the moon, for example. And so as as you put on this worldview, you're going to interpret everything through that worldview. And it's very much a, how do we explain the existence of the world without God? And so then to see Christians take this and say, well, we're just going to take this worldview and we're going to borrow it a little bit. And we're going to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in there and a little bit of God's in control of this. And now this is going to be the only thing we teach you while you're in seminary. And we're going to use the same book in three classes to try to really beat this home for you. Uh, it was, it was a little bit of, it was a little bit upsetting. Yeah. Amen. I, I agree. It, I was just talking to one of my other friends this past week and they had the same experience um, that they came to their um, young earth creationism, like holding firm to it actually as a biology major, looking at mm-hmm. things under a microscope. And they said, yeah. man, I was staring at it thinking, no way, no way this mm-hmm. happened through evolutionary processes. No way. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because we're the ones who get called the uh, science deniers and, and right. all of that crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's also, it was, it was re- oh, go ahead. I was just going to add on that to in, when I was in the lab, I remember, you know, cause I had already had my degree already been out there, never questioned the, the paradigm, but I kept thinking, I'm like, I must be missing something. I must not be understanding this correctly. And so I kept asking questions and asking questions and getting more and more resources. And finally, one of the postdoc students, just one day he goes, Matt, this is the only thing we can use to explain this stuff. There are some problems, but this is the only thing we can use. I mean, it was just this moment of, of honesty, like, like you have to be in this paradigm. There's no other choice. You just have to be in this paradigm. Uh, otherwise, you're, well you're, you're going to fall out of favor very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Say. Yeah. I've got a friend who was a PhD student in biology and he said he had to literally, he wasn't going to violate his conscience, but he had to basically tuck his head until he got his PhD in order to get the degree so that he could finally start actually doing work from mm. a young earth creationist point of view. Cause he said, there's no way wow. he would have been able to graduate um, holding that wow. view. Um, it's also interesting. One of the things that you mentioned um, that this evolutionary, uh, it, it's a worldview, right? And, and it's a lens through mm-hmm. which you see all of creation and you interpret everything through this mm-hmm. worldview. And that, that, you know, presuppositionalism is another word for that, right? That's yes. it kind of takes all your presuppositions. And, and what I was finding just crazy is you know presuppositional apologetics 
is something that grows right out of the Christian Reformed Church's heritage. I mean, Van Til mm -hmm. was in the CRC, mm -hmm. and uh, Herman Bovink was very presuppositional, Bovink. and Abraham Kuyper. Um, they were all talking about these types of things, how, how, how important it was to understand Christianity and primarily scripture as mm -hmm. an all of life shaping worldview that, uh, yes. that you have to go to scripture and then that is going to scripture has to affect every way, you know, every way that you view everything in the world. It has to affect every aspect of your life, how you work how you shop, mm -hmm. how you live. And yet there's the, there's this weird thing that I think has happened in the CRC is where we've been Kyperian, where we're trying to look for truth, right? God is the author of all truth mm -hmm. and we can find truth anywhere. And yet right. we begin, so we start looking for truth in all of these different sciences. And then we start actually holding on to some of the sciences as, as more truth than scripture. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost, it's almost like there's this fear. This, this is just, again, my impression. It's almost like there's this fear that if we don't accept this, people are going to reject Christianity, which again, that's not a reformed <laughs> mindset, no. right? Like, yeah, you know, that's not reformed exactly. soteriology at all, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but there's this idea that like, oh my goodness, if we don't accept evolution, we're going to, we're going to tank as a denomination. We're going to, Christianity is not going to be respected. And you know, it's like a, an article I read recently, and it's been making the rounds through social media. So I'd be, uh, wouldn't be surprised if you came across it, but it was a non-believer talking about celebrity Christianity and celebrity pastors. But one of the things that the author mentions is this idea that if, you know, if I can believe 90% of what the world believes and have premarital sex, I'm going to just stay with, uh, I'm going to stay with being a non-believer, you know, yeah. but if I, if, yeah. if you're, if you're speaking truth, I should feel at least a little bit bad that I'm not holding to that, that truth. I should at least feel a little bit uncomfortable that what you're saying goes against the way that, that I'm living my life. Yeah. And so the and more you, we try to grab these things of the world, man. Yeah. And, and you point out something that we just talked to another pastor about. Uh, well, I don't know when these all episodes are going to air, but we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago and he said the same thing. Interestingly, he said, sitting in a seminary class, they were talking about the struggles of the CRC and how the denomination was shrinking. And uh, mm -hmm. the, the leader, I don't know if they were even a professor, but the leader of this session said the three reasons why the CRC is shrinking is because of women's ordination, uh, people holding to a young earth creationist position. And uh, I don't remember what the third one was, um, but it was mm -hmm. like, we have to, there's, and it's been there as we, our denomination has slowly started dying. Um, mm -hmm. There's been this need. I have literally heard people say we're losing, we're losing all of our young adults because we won't embrace a, an evolutionary worldview. And, uh, mm. and I'm like, no, that's not why we're losing our, we're actually using our young adults because we have failed at discipling them. That's why we're mm -hmm. losing our young adults as a church. We just haven't right. discipled them. I, I actually had somebody I, if they listen to this and they get offended, I guess that's it. But I had somebody tell me we're losing our young adults because we are using um, styrofoam plates and cups after church. And it shows that we don't care about the, you don't cream. care about the environment. Right. <laughs> and I was like, no, uh, we don't use styrofoam plates and cups because styrofoam plates and right. cups <laughs> ink. They're terrible. They're a terrible product. Right. 
but but right. it's not <laughs> like we're not actually losing a generation because we're using those things. Uh, we're losing a yeah. generation because we have failed them, really. That's right. And, That's and right. we keep trying to embrace all these things of the world to try to make ourselves more attractive to the world. And the, as a result, we're dying. They, yeah, and, and the world goes, guess what? Church, we do it way better than you. We do the world way better than you do, church. So why would I go to church to experience the world when, when we do it a, a million times better? And, you know, if, if people have become so fickle that a styrofoam communion cup is going to be the, the, the make or break of why they go to a church, you, there's got to be bigger problems beneath that, right? There's got to be bigger problems beneath that. And I, I love what you said that just, you know, we're, we're failing in discipleship. And I think it's because we've become too wishy-washy. And I'm saying this about a lot of American churches, not just the Amen. CRC. We've just become so wishy-washy. We're trying to entertain. We're trying to we're trying to be the next the next cool thing, and we're just not going to do that. All we have to offer is Jesus Christ. All Amen. we have is the cross and and the authority of Scripture. That's what we have to offer the world. That's that's what the world is hoping for. My only hope in life and death is that I belong body and soul to my savior, Lord, the Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's all I have to offer the world. I, hey, you I, did I, learn some of our confessions. I, <laughs> that's right. I didn't quote it exactly right, but Heidelberg question close. and answer number one, it was pretty close. Yeah, it was close. Yeah. I was, I was thinking of that, that question and answer as you were talking about this Gnostic impulse in our, in our mm. denomination too. I thought, man, the very first question and answer in the Heidelberg catechism says, our only comfort in life and in death is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul body. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. to our faithful savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, but that, right. uh, yeah. Lord's day one, I'm, I'm your typical CRC person that I, man, there is just, if we could just hold on to that, that answer. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's the summary of the entire gospel and it's a summary of scripture. Mm-hmm. And if we could just preach that and get that into our heart and mind and soul, um, our churches mm-hmm. would look would look very different for sure absolutely absolutely yeah we're yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna beat the world at the world's game <laughs> never well no. we're and we're called to be i think what what willie and i found um in our youth ministry willie and i did youth ministry together for a long time and and now i'm finding as as a lead pastor as well people are tired of what's going on in the world and they're actually looking mm-hmm. for a refuge where somebody is going to tell them something different. And so people mm-hmm. actually find it refreshing to step into a church where you say, guess what? We don't agree with all of this stuff. And we're not going to sit and say this because everyone it might offend somebody. No, we're holding on to this because this is what God says is good and glorious. And, uh, and we're actually holding on to these things because we think it's what's best for, you know, what's best for you, but also. That's right. More importantly, what brings most glory to God. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we we talked a lot about in like some of our worship classes in seminary is that it's ultimately about God. It's ultimately about his glory and not, you know, not did this make me feel a certain way or did that make me, but it, but it was about elevating his name and making him just uh, more and more glorified. I can't think of another word, but just more and more Amen. glorified. Right. And when we, when we start just substituting, you know, things of the culture or start, start compromising scripture, 
we, we lose that, man. We just, we lose that so much. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about this in our worship classes too, that a life of meaning and a life of significance is making Jesus Christ, your King, uh, yes. you know, submitting to him, submitting to him as, as our Lord. And that is what's going to give your life meaning. You know, I was just uh, talking this Sunday, you know, this was a, a sermon illustration, but you know, I used to be able to throw a football really, really far. Um, now I can't, I have had two shoulder surgeries. I'm getting a little older. <laughs> I am worried. I'm going to hurt myself when I throw a football. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. you know, at the end of my life, it doesn't matter how far I can throw a football. Mm-hmm. What matters is was Jesus King over every single moment in my life. And it, did I give God glory? And I know I'm not perfect, right? We, 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 we are so yeah. far from that, but, but moving in that direction, moving into our that deepening sanctification in our life. That's what's going to be significant. That's what gives life meaning. And, yeah, and even people, people just don't feel like there's meaning. We have, a, yeah. we have meaning. Amen. Yeah. I, I think even the fact that we're not perfect and the fact of the gospel and the cross shows that Christ can even be glorified through our failure when we repent right. and rest in his forgiveness and show people the glory of that. So, so even the fact that we are failures quite often can bring glory to God when we say, when we repent and we rest in that forgiveness and say, mm-hmm. all right, you're glorious because you've forgiven me. And other people can see that and go, mm-hmm. I don't have that. Right. I mean, yeah. that, that's one of the huge messages of the Bible. I just got done preaching through Ecclesiastes right? Where the overwhelming message of all of Ecclesiastes is you remove God from the, the picture and you try to view everything as just being under the sun, materialistic, meaningless, meaningless. meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And, uh, and I think we forget that, that we look out at people who have rejected God and we think they've got something good. And we <laughs> forget that they're actually living meaningless lives. Like, why That's would right. we want to be there? They're covering it up through all of these other things. They're, they're covering it up through power and wealth and, you know, all of pleasure there. But yet Ecclesiastes reminds us, guess what? Every, everything they're doing is just a rabbit hole towards more meaninglessness. And yet when you mm-hmm. rest in Christ, um, now you have meaning and purpose through everything, right? right? And Paul even says in First Corinthians 15, right? Um, nothing you do will, all of your labor is not in vain in Christ. Nothing that you do is meaningless in Christ. It's a, it's a powerful reminder mm-hmm. that we're not actually getting the short end of the stick here as Christians. And not we need all. to stop, <laughs> we need to stop pretending like we are. We actually have the right. good and beautiful life in this world. And, and everyone else, we should feel a level of sorry and pity and then obviously motivation to bring them the gospel because they're living a meaningless life. Mm-hmm. And we want to see them Amen. live in meaning and purpose and, and rest in Christ as well. Mm-hmm. Amen. Absolutely. Preach it. Yeah. yeah, well, you, yeah. You know, I know I started something... getting in my preaching. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you said, you, you said even, you know, how we glorify Christ, even in our failures. And it got me to think, you know, when I have success, I go, look at, look at what Jesus did in my life. And when I fail, I go, look, this is why I need more Jesus in Amen. my life. And, and it becomes all about him. And it becomes all about uh, our, our faith and God working in and through us into the world and, and making significant and meaning and, and everything you just said. So yeah, it's too bad that so often we almost look at it like, oh, it's too bad. I can't, 
I can't go watch those movies anymore because I'm a Christian. Those lucky people get, oh, oh, those lucky people get to go get drunk on weekends. Oh, those lucky people get to go, go out to Vegas and gamble and, and do all that. It's like, no, man, they're not the lucky ones. And, and if you're, if you're thinking that you've either been very poorly discipled, or maybe you should question, what do I really believe? Yeah. Amen. Well, good, good time. I got one final question for you, Matt, and I end every episode or every interview, I guess, asking this question is, uh, I know you're an outsider and you can be completely blunt with us on this one, but um, the CRC is struggling and uh, we're in the midst Mm -hmm. of a pretty big turmoil right now where there's actually numbers of pastors and churches talking about leaving our denomination and people are wondering whether the CRC is even going to survive. Um, and mm-hmm. we're doing this podcast because we want to see the, the Christian Reformed Church um, survive and have reformation. But do you think, do you think the CRC is worth saving? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. And um, I look at that and I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to give a politician answer if you don't mind. So <laughs> when you say is something worth saving, you're kind of implying two things, right? You're implying number one, it has to be saved from something. Mm-hmm. And if we can accurately define what that something is, if it's just declining numbers, if, if the whole goal is just to of existence is just to exist as a, as a church, I think we've lost our purpose. We've, we've lost our mission and it's time to close the doors. But if we remember that we, we exist for the Great Commission, that we exist uh, for the sake of, of spreading the gospel and sharing the gospel and making disciples of all nations, and we can return to that that biblical foundation that's that's getting a little bit diminished right now, absolutely worth saving. Absolutely. Because, you know, your church has something that my church can't offer. And, and we have different flavors of things. And and it's it's a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, I, I think it's a beautiful thing that when, when people love Jesus Christ and they just do it in a little bit different way, you know, maybe it's not going to work for me. Maybe I even disagree. But you know what? I know, you know, actually, I'd say this, you know, to quote, uh, I forget who it was, if it was Whitfield or somebody, it's like, I'm probably not going to see Jason up in heaven because he's going to be so close to the throne of God and I'm going to be so far back. I'm not even going to see him. But, you know, uh, but yeah, it's absolutely worth saving um, in that regard. Um, But it also implies, you know, when you ask the question, is something worth saving? Do people want to be saved? You know, does the denomination itself want to be saved? And I'm sure this is what the synods and stuff are going to try to try to figure out but it's the this idea that some people are going to be completely comfortable with the way things are you know their job is secure and if we start shaking start shaking things up that might that might mess me up or or they they think perhaps some of this and i actually believe that a a lot of folks are sincere they sincerely believe that some of these compromises of scripture are good things you know you can be sincere and wrong (laughs) you know so if 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 they don't want to change, things aren't going to change. And that's, and that's really difficult. Um, but I do think, and I've learned this as, as a pastor, um, going through some of my military things as well. One of the things that if you go through change, first of all, you're always going to pull some, a few weeds. People, there's going to be people who are going to be upset. Um, you, you just kind of got to kind of have an iron chin and, and just take some of those hits. But the more you tell people what's going to stay the same, the easier change becomes. So going back to Heidelberg question and answer number one and saying, this is not going to change. This is part of who we are. Going to the Belgic confession, looking looking at, at scripture, looking at 
you know, Calvin's Institutes and some of these, these other, other great thinkers like you mentioned Kuiper and, and these other folks, like understanding that the identity, the core of who the CRC is, is not going to change. It's, it's, in fact, we're going to be going back to that core uh, yeah. is going to make change a lot easier. So I think recognizing the correct problem, if people have a willingness to change and just letting people know what's going to stay the same, I think the CRC can get through this. And, and my prayer is, is that they will get through it in a godly way and in a way that is going to bring glory and honor to our, to our Father in heaven. Amen. Yeah, well, and our desire is to see, I mean, you're in the Southern Baptist Church, a, a denomination that was on the brink of complete catastrophe, <laughs> you know, what, yes. 30 years ago, I think. Yes. And, uh, and uh, they were able to see a whole denomination turn from uh, this liberal mm -hmm. slide um, to becoming a conservative denomination. And uh, I know that there's many people who desire to see that happen in the CRC as well, that the Southern Baptist Church gives us hope that uh, we Good. don't have to become like all the other denominations that are just keep moving further down the liberal path, but there's mm -hmm. hope that that reformation yeah. can come. I have a question quick for you, Matt. You bet, Willie. So what do you think the role of pastors and church leaders is or could be to bring about change if we wish to see it? Mm -hmm. So I think some of the things that started with pastors um, to basically, first of all, preach the gospel, you know, to actually preach the truth from the pulpit. Um, I know that there are different theories on preaching, but we can't lose sight. We got we to keep the main thing, the main thing. Right. And I, and I get it. Like gospel is a lot more than just, you know, Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. But it's recognizing the wickedness in the world and recognizing that we have been made a new creation and recognizing that we don't have to participate in these things. Just preach the truth of scripture. You know, that, that's one thing. Uh, kind of already mentioned this, but letting people know, reassuring is, is going to be a big deal. You know, things are crazy in the denomination. If we don't think that that's trickled down, even to our mm -hmm. children, even down to, uh, you know, the, the old saint in the nursing home, there's probably at least some sort of feeling that there's something going on. And so offering reassurance that letting people know that we are having these types of discussions, these are serious discussions, but the goal in the end is reformation and to get back to our roots. And that, that this is, this is a good thing because the church sometimes needs to repent. The church sometimes needs to grow, but being that voice of encouragement and reassurance, sometimes it means being the bad guy. Um, one of the things that, you know, uh, Calvin always says one of the marks of a true, actually, this might've been Luther. I'm going to get my church history mixed up, but one of the marks of a true church is church discipline. Yeah. And, you know, and far too often, that is a four letter word to pastors. It's, it's not easy to, to do church discipline on people who are, um, who were your friends, people who you considered brothers and sisters in Christ. But, uh, I, you know, I, I say this and it sounds like I'm being flippant, but sometimes you got to pull a few weeds uh, to make the garden healthy again. And yeah. it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing. And if there are people who are willfully defying scripture, willfully trying to undermine scripture, they need to go. And as pastors, as leaders, that is our role to bring this, to bring this up to folks. And, and that's not always easy. And one of the things that, um, my role in the military before I, be, I moved into the chaplain corps, although this continues to be part of it, uh, my role was to speak truth to power, was one of the things that they told me. 
that you need to speak truth to power. And it's not easy to speak truth to power, especially when they can determine yeah. your next assignment. And I mean, you, you all know. And so as you, as you talk to denominational leadership, being willing to, to speak the truth, to walk the walk when you're, when you're talking with them and not just on a podcast and not just, you know, talking to your congregation, mm-hmm. but actually being able to say the hard things. And it's not easy. Uh, there's, there's no easy way to do it to, to tell someone who has control over your job and control over your life in many ways and say, sir, ma'am, you screwed up and here's yeah. why, or here's what we need to do to make it better. Mm. Well, I love that answer. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I think uh, just to repeat back to one of the themes that has come up repeatedly is the way that God can be glorified through our own repentance. Um, that's one way that this denomination could be a light and uh, bring glory to God is for us to say, we messed up. We've been messing mm-hmm. around with things we shouldn't have messed with. We have been not honoring God's word as we say that we honor God's word and uh, we repent and we're not going to go down that road and we're going to seek God and we're going to rest in his forgiveness and we're going to move forward pointing people to Christ. And can you imagine the way that that would bring glory and honor to God. And, uh, and I think encourage the other churches and denominations in the middle of the same struggle as us for us as a denomination to say, we're going to repent of the path that we're on and move forward. Amen. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for our conversation with Matthew Hahn. Until then, don't forget this is Christ's church and he bought this church with his blood And he warned us that wolves would come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Reformation.